Hello and welcome to this study in the book of Jude in the New Testament. Today I want to lay a foundation of uh, the beginning of the book and certain characteristics of the book, what the book is about, how, when it was written, by whom it was written, a major theme in the book, and then we will begin in verse 1 after we lay this foundation. So let's consider the little book of Jude. I like what Jerry Vines has said about the positioning of the book of Jude. The Holy Spirit of God has positioned it right before the Revelation. And of course, the Revelation is an apocalyptic book. In my view, it, uh, it tells us about the panoramic scene of the end and uh, the end time events. In the early part of the book, it talks about uh, the church, the seven churches. Um, earlier than that, the magnificent description of Jesus Christ, God the Son in the throne room. Then it moves from there, of course, all the way through the rest of the book and, and gives us these details uh, as far as we can understand them about the end of the age, the consummation of the age. Right before that is the little book of Jude. One of the, even though it's a very small book, one of the very powerful things about Jude is that it serves, even in its diminutive state, it's so small, even such a small book with powerful words and descriptions, especially extracting them from the Greek New Testament, uh, teaches us about the importance of doctrinal purity in the church. If we don't have doctrinal purity, then all kinds of things can creep in, and it's it's sort of like sighting a rifle. If If you want to sight a rifle, you have to take note of how far away you need to be to make the kind of shot that you want to make. If you want to make a 300-yard shot and you sight your rifle in at 25 yards, well, that might be kind of close at 25 yards, but the crosshairs and the, the, the path of the bullet may be a little bit off, and the further it goes, the further off the bullet is from hitting the point that you want to hit. That's the way it is with uh, doctrine. You have to be pure from the outset in, in church doctrine in the New Testament church because if you allow the slightest little thing that veers off and away from the New Testament teaching as it is given to us in its original text, if we allow one little thing to come in and begin to veer off ever so slightly, then on down the road it can be a big miss and be, be something that brings all kinds of problems to the church. So it's very interesting that such a tiny little book in the New Testament is a book that uh, talks about apostasy, actually. It talks about uh, uh, apostates in the church, false teaching in the church, false error, uh, or should I say error, in the church, and um, tells us in, a, in a, the main point to always contend or to earnestly contend for the faith. It is something that we must diligently strive to do, especially those who are pastors and teachers uh, in the church. We have to preach the Bible just as it is, just as it was given to us, and we have to be very careful to keep everything on the path that it needs to be on and never, ever veer off of that path and be very, very careful in the way uh, that it's taught. Now, in the Baptist church, of course, of which I'm a part, um, 
and in other churches as well, and maybe in in modern churches in general. I, I can't say that for sure. Haven't made a study of it. But this is just from observation and from experience as a pastor. It has to be observed that a perceived need for unity has proven to be in the minds of church members especially and maybe some pastors as well. The need for unity in a church has shown itself to be more important in the minds of church members, especially in the modern era, uh, than the need for correct doctrine. That plays itself out in the course of time such that the, the church teaches something that is nothing anywhere near the, the truth of the New Testament. Um, and, and then all kinds of strange beliefs are created uh, because we don't want to upset the unity of the church. Uh, maybe that need for unity comes from from a a pressure, a self-imposed pressure uh, to build up numbers in the church, or or sometimes people misunderstand the concept of New Testament love, um, Christian love, and so they think you have to love everything, and and that and that love, uh, so called, uh, would would cause us to have to accept things out of love uh, that really the New Testament teaches us we should never accept. Jude, in its, in its little body, addresses these things in a powerful way for us to, to zealously contend uh, for the faith. Now, what does that mean? It means to seek correct Bible teaching and Bible doctrine in a very practical and down-to-earth way such that in our teaching we understand that the Bible itself is absolute truth. As it was given to us most particularly in the New Testament Greek or the Old Testament Hebrew, as it was given to us, there's no wiggle room uh, for doctrinal purity. So when we study a book like Jude and we take it from its original text, uh, we can we can begin to nail down the principles and the foundations that are so important and the principles of teaching and in contending for the faith, who we are in Christ and how we should respond to our identity in Christ with regard to those who maybe in a friendly kind of way attach themselves to the church, but they're really... They're really enemies of the church, and and that goes into a uh, a depth of study here in um, in the book of Jude. So, all right, it's located a book that teaches us to protect ourselves against apostasy is located right there next to the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of the Revelation, and of course the Revelation carries us into the horrors of the tribulation. Um, and the world plunges into a darkness it has never known before. It seems then that the Holy Spirit of God is telling us that we need to be sure and understand how to protect ourselves from apostasy in the church, false doctrine in the church, error in the church, error, false doctrine, false teaching. Those things, of course, would lead us into apostasy such that 
we might appear to be part of the church, but we would actually be standing away from the faith. Apostasy comes from a Greek word, apostasia, or apostasis, and you break it down into apostasia. Apo means away from, stasis means to stand, means to stand away from. So in a in a bizarre kind of way, it seems to identify people who somehow want to be connected to the church for whatever reason, but they want to stand off from the faith. They don't want to be doctrinally correct. That's something that's just not important to them. Now, Jude is writing in general to a general group of people. We'll see that over here um, in verse in verse 1 uh, and following. We may not get to that part today, but at this point, I'm, I think I've Laid the, well, let me say this. The book was written somewhere between the late 60s A.D. and 80 A.D. It's hard to nail down, a lot of different ideas on when it was written. But generally, it's always been agreed since the early New Testament days that Jude is, of course, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's interesting how he identifies himself here. Uh, in this uh, in this introduction, so I'm going to go now. Now I'm reading from the Greek text and just exegeting. I'm just uh, I'm just going to extract the English as I go along, and I'll call attention from time to time, especially uh, to a Greek word, and that will carry on in all of the studies that we do uh, so as we begin this book of Jude, and then God willing, books in a later date, other books of the Bible. So it starts out like this in Jude. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. We'll stop there. Dulas, a, a tender way to um, translate that word would be a servant. But there's no doubt that, that the direct, clear meaning is slave. You'll find it in Paul's writings as well. Paul very often identifies himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. So let's think about the overall meaning of the book of Jude and then think of how the writer presents himself and how then, by implication, he expects other Christians uh, to see themselves as well, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we know about a slave? Well, he's owned by someone else. And the will of the master is the only will that matters. The master gives leadership as owner of the slave and gives the slave uh, what jobs he is to do. Now, we know from other parts of the scriptures that uh, those of us who are in Christ Jesus are gifted in various ways. So we're slaves to perform particular uh, services to the Lord Jesus Christ in his church. We also learn further that the only way that we can be gifted like this is that the Holy Spirit of God, of course, lives within us. And what we do, we're doing in Christ Jesus such that as we seek to be obedient to our great master as his slave, it is as though he is doing these things through us. So right off, we understand that if we are to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as, as his church, the way they did in the early New Testament church, we are, to, we are to have the attitude 
of being a slave of Jesus Christ. His will is the only thing that matters. That's why obedience is such an important part of New Testament doctrine. We don't start out knowing everything that there is to know about what we are to do in Christ Jesus. We start out as babes in Christ. There are certain fundamental principles, of course, that we understand, and we seek to abide by those principles, and our faith is rooted in those principles. But as disciples of Christ, and the Great Commission is to disciple the world. We're to be learners. We're to be learners of all that Christ has said and done. So if we are disciples, then we're growing in our faith and we're moving, if you want to use an analogy from school, we're moving from first grade to second grade to third grade and we're moving out of elementary school into middle school or junior high school and then high school and then college and so forth. We And the, the growth process never stops. We become increasingly obedient because the Word is a living thing, and it's always speaking to us bigger, greater, and better things. And we grow then as a slave of the Master with deeper obedience such that it becomes a joyful thing as we move through life, recognizing that our obedience to Him is really what brings us joy in our lives. So, here, Jude describes himself, and I think by implication tells us how we should see ourselves in Christ as being a slave of Jesus Christ. And now he identifies himself further. Then brother of James, at the first day, Jacob. Then he's first a slave of Jesus Christ. Then... He's brother of James. Uh, James was well-known, the, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, uh, was well-known to the church in that day. So people could get a clear idea and a clear understanding of who Jude is uh, as he introduces himself in, uh, in writing this little epistle. Now, to whom is he writing? We'll pick that up next time because there's, <laughs> there's quite a bit to be said about the next phrase here. Uh, and thinking of Jude, all right, first a slave of Jesus Christ, then brother or a brother of James. Identifying himself, something further to be said about how he identifies himself with James, uh, which which strengthens the timber of the letter uh, at the very outset. We'll pick that up next time. And so thank you for watching, and be sure and join us next time. Mm -hmm.